This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Hello everybody and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Cathy Reid. And I'm Scarlett Baldwin. And today you join us at the Rain Dance Film Festival, which is very exciting. Round of applause for that. <laughs> so today on our panel, we have Nicole Palo, Amaka Okafor, and we are going to be joined later, hopefully, she's flying in today, by Juliana Picciolo. So, ladies, thank you for joining us today. Um, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourselves and also about your mental health journeys? <laughs> A long story. Okay, I'm uh, Nicole Palo. I'm coming from Brussels. I just arrived this morning and I'm showing my film here, Emma Peters. It's a comedy uh, film I, I wrote and directed. It's a comedy about a girl who, who wants to commit suicide because she did not succeed in becoming an actress. So I think we are in the subject a little bit for today. Yeah, so uh, my mental health, I would say I've been, you know, surfing in between. Uh, high moments and depression and especially when you're trying to make something in art it's very difficult so and I think that's any gender women or men it's very tough so you get uh, you know discouraged at some points and I really thought about that and uh, at some point I was feeling so low because I, I had made a first feature film and I couldn't make a second one so I I felt solo, I thought, okay, I'm gonna write a film about a girl who decides to end it all for good. Something you sometimes think about, but you don't really do, so it's actually a therapy sometimes to write films, so my mental health is better since I'm able to make films, so I think uh, the discussion today is really about having uh, men and also women being able to uh, express themselves and that's a way to feel much better I think but we'll, I guess we're going to discuss in more detail later on so I'll pass the microphone to Thank you. Hello, um, I'm a Maka, I'm an actor. Um, I um, sort of similar, there's a thing where for me anyway I didn't train so I'm sort of learning on the job each job that I get and so my way of accessing my character is usually to sort of look at the ways that we're similar and the ways that we're not similar. And that in turn makes you look at yourself and how you deal with things as a human being. So I feel like with each job I sort of come face to face with a different aspect of my nature. And I feel like I've always been quite, a, I've always thought that I've kind of been balanced and quite okay because I've had a very strong family network. I've never felt like there isn't somebody I can talk to. I've got a really strong relationship with my dad. But then about a year ago, I went through something that meant that I didn't really feel like there was anyone I could actually talk to. So I've been in therapy for about a year and that has been hella interesting um, and really helpful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And therapy is amazing. We're both in therapy too and it's... So um, good. But yeah, <laughs> um, and when we first set up um, to, to do this podcast, um, we just wanted to break the stigma on mental health. Um, so it's um, it's a year ago to the week that we launched the podcast and we certainly have noticed a change. Have you both noticed a change in your chosen fields uh, regarding the stigma around mental health? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that people are able to talk about 
But then if you, actually, if you ask them to change their schedules because of your own mental health, they're more reticent to do that. Mm. So I go for, um, I have therapy every Thursday morning. And for me, that's really important. But if I'm in rehearsals for something, um, in rehearsals we'll be talking about mental health this, mental health that, yeah, yeah, cool, peace, man. And as soon as you say, actually on a Thursday, I can't get to you before 11.30, mm. there's a problem. Yeah. So that's where I feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know really what to answer because I haven't felt any kind of difference uh, lately about this issue. I just think in Belgium we don't talk about it, that's why. So you don't feel a difference about it. And uh, I can just say that during my shooting there was like whispering people in my team, in my crew were wondering, did she really want to commit suicide? Is she really depressed? And uh, uh, yeah, she's taking Xanax or something. I don't know, all kinds of rumors about it. So. Uh, no, I, I, I can't really answer that question. I don't know if it's, it has changed or not. We're really pleased to welcome Juliana Piccolo, who has flown in today from, I believe... Tucson. Tucson? Amazing. Um, well, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, just before we get back onto the questions, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your um, relationship with mental health? Um, well, I'm a filmmaker and a writer. Um, and I'm an activist and a mom. Um, I mostly make films to do with sex work because I am a former sex worker and I am a sex worker rights activist. Mental health. Um, <laughs> my own personal struggles, yes. Um, I think that is, as a filmmaker, just doing the kinds of films that I do, it's extremely challenging and you have these moments of uh, does anybody want to see this kind of work and what's the value in it and all that. So uh, definitely struggled with some depression and anxiety around, especially making this documentary, which was super important to me. So um, it was really, really challenging on my mental health, for sure. Thank you. So on to another question for um, all three of you. We're thankfully seeing a huge rise in the representation of women and people of colour in the arts, but it is so important that this isn't seen as tokenism. Lack of representation can really have an effect on someone's mental health as you question why your story isn't being told. How can we ensure that we are continuing to see this representation grow both sides of the camera? Okay, well, I mean, I think that to avoid tokenism, you know, you don't do it, right? So um, we see a lot with um, filmmaking, for instance, like the new movie Hustlers that came out. Um, I feel like there was a ton of tokenism going on in that film. Like, yes, they hired actual strippers to do some consulting and paid them a pittance. Um, and Cardi B was a stripper. And they featured Lizzo, who's a woman of color, who's also a large woman. Um, but it was really just gratuitous. They just threw her in there for a second. And same thing with Cardi B. She didn't have much presence in the film at all. Um, and so the, the two main actresses were women of color um, who had a greater proximity to whiteness than the other uh, people in the film. And um, they weren't sex workers. They did not have a connection to sex work. Um, and, but the filmmakers felt like, I think they legitimized what they were doing, you know, talking about sex workers' lives because they, of the tokenism, I think, that they were, were doing. So, I mean, you have to have sex workers, for my, this is my particular marginalized group, but um, sex workers and sex workers of color and trans sex workers 
writing the scripts, directing the movies, getting the funding, not just being hired as an after fact. Like, you know, someone like Janet Mock, for instance, um, who is a former sex worker who's doing all of this, but it's very, very unusual. And so we have to be careful that we don't feel good about, a lot of people who do documentary too feel good about giving voice. They, they like to say, oh, we, I gave them voice. Like that's this great gift from the white privileged people is that I allowed them to tell their story and gave them a platform. That's bullshit um, and that's tokenism. And that's, you know, you're building your career off of this person. What did you give them? Voice. They got a voice, <laughs> so they need a platform. And unfortunately, I feel like until um, they're being funded to tell their own stories, that privileged people have no business telling the stories of marginalized people, period. If those stories don't get told for 20 years, so what? I don't feel like privileged people should be making money off the backs of people of color, sex workers, other marginalized groups of people. Yeah, I'm not sure I can really improve on that. I think that um, <laughs> often playing, I, you'll find yourself in a production where you are always serving the white person's story. And um, you are, you know, it might be a, a really high profile job. And so people are like, wow, you're doing really well, you're doing really well. And you look at you look at it and you go, yeah, I'm here, but I'm literally here to serve that person. We're all here to serve that person. And I mean, this is going to sound really stupid, but ages ago when Harry Potter was still in the cinema, or maybe it had finished, I, w I walked down the street and I saw this poster and it was of the characters, um, the three main characters, which are Harry, Hermione and Ron. And they'd chosen three brown kids from whatever um, uh, racial group. And underneath it said something like, if this is strange to you, if this looks strange to you, there's a problem. Yeah. And I remember looking at that and going, yeah, actually. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether to bring this up or not because I don't want to mess up a job that I'm doing, but it's too important not to say. I'm in a job that is maybe one of the best jobs I've ever had. And there's four main cast in it. And I am very present on stage. But our social media, if you were to look at our social media, I'm not in any of the pictures. It's, it's the three white people that are seen as, you know, maybe they're more famous than me, maybe whatever. But the fact is, I have more of a presence on stage than a lot of them do. And I'm not in any of the social media. And you just go, what am I doing this for? Why am I here? And a lot of the time you're in something where you've been put in and you read the script. And I remember being in a play and I had to say to the playwright, a black person would never say this, this thing that you've written. I would never say that. And luckily, he was really open and um, sort of progressive enough to go, okay, what would you say? Yeah. But a lot of the time, it's a shutdown, and you feel fear before you voice that, because you, a part of your brain goes, I'm lucky to be here, they're just going to get another one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll pass it over, because I could just keep talking. <laughs> yeah, the question was is what could we do to change the situation? That was it. Yeah. Uh, because there is the quotas, you know, uh, that's how you call it. Uh, when you're giving fundings uh, to, you know, privilege some minority, but with women it's a difficult thing because we're not a minority, we are <laughs> a majority in fact. So, uh, but I don't know how we can solve the things until there is uh, parity in the decision-making. 
I mean, if the commission, the film commissions are still more male and uh, the producers are still male and, you know, recently I just presented my new project to my producers, there are three guys, and they didn't get it. It's about a girl who, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's called Girlhood, it's about, uh, you know, growing up, uh, but my idea is that you're not born a woman, you become one, and the girl is just sort of neutral gender, and she only discovers very late the difference between a boy and a girl. She knows the biological difference, but she doesn't know that you're supposed to act differently and that there's codes in it. But I just, I just saw the film, not, they didn't get it, so yeah. Until there is a good audience to evaluate your work, then uh, I don't know what we can do. Well, I think it's like what you were saying, sorry, about the decision makers. It's about the people who are the other side, like what you were saying about in front of the camera and behind. The people um, who are giving the money out. Until the people that have the money are the people who identify with these stories or at least care about these stories in a deep, truthful way, it just feels like it's not going to change. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, what you mentioned about the Harry Potter... Um, posters, that was a whole campaign um, from two, um, no, I think it was um, three, three students at a university in London and they decided to take all these films um, and like you say put an amazing people of colour in every single one and like you say with the tagline, if, if this looks strange to you and it got so many people talking because you know representation is so important across, you know, like we say all, off, like all, on screen and off and, you know, and just when you mentioned about, you know, writing the scripts, like, that's so important and the stories have to be told. And, and it's for the younger generation as well. If they, if they aren't seeing themselves rep represented, what's going to happen to the art form? You know, surely we want to be creating amazing stories and, and getting, finding new talent and having no limits and, and welcoming everyone. And I feel, in, in terms of linking that into mental health, if you, if you don't see yourself... Um, having any representation, you know, if you don't see female writers, if you don't see the whole the whole picture, you're losing a, a huge margin of, of talent almost, and and mentally to 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 young children who aspire to be a writer or in front of the camera, if they're not seeing that, then what what's that doing mentally for them? Do you know what I mean? I think. The, the art has such a huge responsibility of inspiring others. And that starts at a young age. And we're, we're all um, lucky to, ha to have access to, to TV and, and film and stories and picture books. Um, and I feel like that is, it is so important to, to see those, to hear those stories. Does anyone have any kind of thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I was going to say. I think sometimes we underestimate what how film functions in a culture. Um, mainstream cinema functions to prop up the dominant economic system. Um, and in our case, it's capitalism and the patriarchy. Um, it, it truly, all cultural products function to prop that up in some way, which is why we see films constantly reinforce the nuclear family, right? Um, people get pregnant, they get married, you know, whatever. Um, so, so it's way more important people like to say oh it's just entertainment you know film dramatizes film shows extremes um that may be true to a point but the other thing that's going on is deadly important film tells us how to think about ourselves it tells us how to think about 
other people, particularly marginalized people that we may not have personal relationships with or contact with, it tells us what to think about marginalized people's lives, um, what their lives are worth, um, what kind of lives they lead, what kind of things they do. So if we constantly, constantly see people of color who are in abject situations, who are using drugs, who are poor, um, etc. Um, we, we believe that as a culture. We may say we don't believe that, but we do, and we start to look at people who don't fit that as exceptional, right? And for sex workers in particular, we're viewed as disposable. Um, so we, we, we absorb that image of ourselves, and everybody else reinforces that in our culture. So representation is extremely important. So if you're not of the group that you are representing, you have to know the power of that representation and what it means for people's lives. Yeah, you were also talking about role models to be able to show younger people that it's possible. And that's one of the reasons why I'm traveling a lot with my film uh, this year. And funnily, I haven't always been invited by the festivals, but I insisted I want to go come, you know, pay me a hotel room or something. Because here you are doing a focus on female, female gaze, yeah, and it's not the case in all the festivals. So you sometimes have to insist to come because for some reason, men are more easily invited to talk. Uh, to be a member of a jury. I've never been invited to be a member of a jury, for example, when I know people who have less experience than I do, uh, but are actresses, for example. I mean, the actors are more invited to you know, represent cinema. Not unfortunately, I mean, it's really good also, but I mean, the directors, it's very, very difficult to have women directors. So that's why, been showing my face everywhere, so <laughs> I don't know if it helps, but you know, the little bit we can do. Yeah, oh, no, I keep this one. Can <laughs> you keep it? <laughs> um, so, as you can see, we're joined by three fabulous women here. Have any of you ever felt that your opinions have been questioned or dismissed because of your gender in the industry? <laughs> Difficult yeah. one. Yeah, but I don't want to sound like a prick. I mean, it's, it, it's just, you just feel like you have less airtime in the room. It's, you just have less airtime, therefore you have to be incredibly succinct to get the, your point across. Well, I mean, I personally feel like as a, as a sex worker, maybe as a woman as well, probably, um, that people are always surprised that I do good work. They can't believe I made that movie. They're like, oh, you hired, you didn't, you didn't, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I do everything. Um, so I feel like I, I'm constantly, people assume that I don't have skills, um, that I'm not good at what I do. Um, that's just a constant thing that I face all, all the time. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's, it's also the same with the cinema. You know, you, you, you have the critics who say uh, uh, you always feel like you're not uh, yet a filmmaker, you're just learning, and they're telling you, oh, good job, continue like that. We, we would like to see your next film to see if you continue progressing or something very condescending, you know. Uh, <laughs> what else? Yeah, I've had... Oh, yeah. The main thing people have been saying 
after watching my film in Belgium was we were po positively surprised. So I don't know what you can think about that. We didn't expect anything, but you actually managed to do it, you know? And I, it took me seven years to make my film, so I had a hard time convincing uh, the commissions that it was possible. I don't think that it was directly because I was a woman, to be honest. It was also the subject, you know, talking about suicide. But some journalists uh, told me maybe it is because um, it's a woman who's going to turn 35 who wants to commit suicide. Normally it's the age you're supposed to think of having kids if you don't have yet some. And I hadn't thought about that. I think that's why there was such a taboo around my film. It's not only because it's a suicide story, but it, because it's a woman, and she's supposed to be thinking about life and giving life, you know? So probably I did touch something, not even doing it on purpose, so. Absolutely, um, that's a really nice segue into, we've got some uh, individual questions for you all. Um, so Nicole, you're um, part of a group of women filmmakers who are trying to make a move on a uh, woman's place in the film industry. You said in your email correspondence with us uh, to be a part of this panel, I even have my own theory that frustration and not being considered at the level of one's competence is especially relevant for women can bring mental illness. This is something that I think women have kind of had to deal with for quite a long time. Yeah. Can you expand on this for us? Yeah. Um... I saw something recently, I read a book that uh, between the two um, world wars, there was many women who were interned, do you say, no, committed into a psychiatric hospital for schizophrenia, and uh, most of these women were typists, that's how you call it, typists, and I was like, this is strange, why more women and why these typists, and I thought, it's maybe because people made them dream that they were going to be able to have a good job, to have a good life and, you know, fulfill their dreams and be something in life. And then they started working as typists and they, they were just a number in a company directed by men. And sometimes it was sexual harassment also, I don't know. So I don't have an actual theory about it, but I think when a woman, uh, you know, cannot fulfill her, competence, I mean, the things, she's, things she can do, uh, I think it brings out a lot of frustration and sometimes it can lead to mental illness, not always, but uh, at least uh, shut, being shut down, I think it's already not good, you know, so I'm sorry, I'm not talking very well, I think, in English, <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Did you want to say something? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, as, as I said, we've just got individual questions for the three of you, so we'll just go through them. Um, Amaka, mm. you are currently appearing in The Sun, and as we found out, uh, this is the first time that you have been cast in a role that's your age. Um, for some reason, age seems to matter as a woman in this industry. How, do you, uh, how did you navigate this when you hit your 30s, and particularly as a woman of colour? Um, I think I look a lot younger than I am. Um, and that is not because I do anything particularly magic. <laughs> I just think my, me, just, I'm black, right? And my mum is Indian, my dad's Nigerian, and they both look loads younger than they actually are. Um, so that has meant that I've played children quite a lot, um, old teenagers. And um, 
I, I remember my agent, one of my earlier agents saying, just enjoy it, just enjoy it while they still want you to be that age, because once it changes, you won't go back. So I kept thinking, right, cool, just enjoy it, be happy about it. And then I had my daughter, and I started being like, this is, feels like quite a stretch now. I'm playing, <laughs> playing a 15-year-old schoolgirl. This is ridiculous. Um, and then this job came along where I've been able to be the age that I am, which is 37. Um, in the play, I've just had a baby. I'm not having to pretend to be anything. And weirdly, right, I'm always like playing boys or kids or whatever. In this play, I get to wear dresses and stuff. And all my friends that have come to see it have always gone on about sex every time that, or and even strangers who have come to see their friends who are other cast members have gone, God, you're so sexy in this play. You look amazing, your dress is blah, 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 blah. And in my head, I'm just like, I'm literally just being allowed to stand on stage and be who I am and not pretend to be something else. Yeah. And it's been hugely liberating not to have to change my voice to try and sound younger or um, sort of delete my life experience to be able to just fully be who I am and not be there because, you know, um, we're the immigrant family that moved in next door. Um, do you know what, in this country, yeah. I just think we're really bad at that. Yeah. And when there's shows and there happens to be a black family or an Asian family, it always has to be explained why they're there. Whereas, you know, they're just fucking there. We've been here for ages, guys. <laughs> Have you noticed a change on that um, recently with um, castings? Yes, I have noticed that it is broader, that there are more... I can, I've noticed people going, shit, 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 we need, we need to seem like we're being more open. I've noticed that. Um, and um, I'm mixed race, um, so gets, I get called in for the inverted commas black characters, and then I turn up and they're like, oh, she's not, she's not that. And then they call me in for the mixed race characters and in their heads, in their heads mixed race is black and white. So I turn up for those and they're like, oh, she's not, she's not that either. So um, I tend to get the characters that it's not specified what, what, where they're from, where they could actually be white. I don't tend to get put in things that are black or blah, blah, blah. We, um, we had um, a really interesting chat with Equity. Um, a couple of weeks ago all about body image um, and how that segued into casting um, and there was some comments about um, in terms of proving um, mental health for actors in casting that perhaps looking at someone's energy could be fitting for, for a role rather than their appearance. Mm. Um, what's your, your thoughts on that? Oh, I would love it if people did that. Yeah. That would be just so wonderful. But um, that would mean having a meeting where you have longer than about 30 seconds mm -hmm. to have sort of face-to-face -face contact with a person and nerves and all of that kind of thing that can make you really want to think and displace where your actual energy would normally sit if you were feeling kind of relaced. Yeah. But that would be great. Yeah. I, I just think something has to change, you know, I don't, sure. I don't know what it is, but... It was really interesting because, not to take up too much airtime, but they, my first ever agent was part of um, a co-op, a cooperative agency, and what that means is um, everybody, all the actors, run the agency together. So you have a certain number of days that you go into the office, you see the breakdowns that are coming in from the casting directors, and you suggest your um, fellow actors that are within your group. And it amazed me that every time... The, the breakdowns were not just assuming that they were saying a white person. It specified that they weren't. It said all ethnicities welcome. And if it didn't say all ethnicities welcome, it meant a white person. 
And it was amazing how many times I came, breakthroughs were coming down where I was like, I mean, that should be me, but I mean, I can't suggest myself for that because um, doesn't say all ethnicities welcome. But you know, that was a good 10 years ago, so I'm hoping that's not still. Yeah, I hope that has changed. Yeah. Um, so you're also a mother. Uh, yes. Um, can you chat to us about your experiences through the industry as a mother who wants to work and is working? Um, and has that ever affected your mental health at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I went up for a job and I was really pregnant. And, you know, I worked all the way through my pregnancy. I was really lucky. I had a great pregnancy, healthy, blah, blah, blah. Had a casting. And I remember the casting director putting me on tape for something and her going, but how pregnant are you? And I was like, well, I'm due, blah, blah. And she went, yeah, but what are you going to do when the baby gets here? Who's going to look after the baby? And I was just like, this has got nothing to do with you. I've accepted this audition because I think I can do the job. But because you're on the back foot, you're the person going, please, may I have this job? You sort of, it discombobulates you and you feel like you don't have the balls to do that, which I would now. Um, so that was a bit shit. Um, and then when you're doing the job, you, I remember needing to express on my coffee breaks and having nowhere private to go and do that apart from toilets and I didn't want to be expressing milk in a toilet that felt unsanitary so there was only one private thing which was part of the set and it was a wardrobe so I remember everybody else sitting out having their coffee break and me sitting inside this wardrobe pumping my tits for milk and just being like a, this is so depressing, and when you're depressed, no milk comes out, so nothing was coming out. And then coming out of the wardrobe and everyone going, right, that's the end of tea break, and everyone had a lovely rest, and I was sat there trying to milk myself dry. That wasn't cool. But the really good thing is, is that um, she has a wonderful father, and her grandparents are amazing, so they really, you know, we bloody share it, right? Yeah. And so the thing that winds me up the most is when people are like, but who's looking after your daughter? Where is she? And I just think, I bet you people don't ask her dad. Mm. I bet you people don't say to her, to him, who's looking after her. Yeah. Like when they're like, who's looking after her? I'm like, her dad. Her dad's looking after her. Yeah. Um, the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think as well, um, myself and Kathy um, aren't parents. Um, but certainly from the people that we've spoke to on the podcast who are, um, they've noticed that there's a huge lack of support when it comes to parenting, and that goes both mothers and fathers. Um, would, you, would you say that perhaps the industry needs to cater for new families to give support? Because it's a completely different industry. Um, like it's, it's not a normal nine-to-five job. You, don't, you know your schedule for one month, and then it, it completely changes. And I think that goes you know, on... On, on stage, um, on screen and and off. Um, do you think the industry um, should be catering and putting in support support for new families in the arts? Yeah, just for families, not even new families, just families. Yeah. Um, like the, when Michelle Terry took over at The Globe, she's done a thing where um, if you're an actor, you, you know your schedule for the next day, the night before. So usually at about eight o'clock, sometimes if you're filming, it's later. You don't know what hours you're going to be doing the next day. Mm. She's done a thing where you know at the beginning of the week what you're going to be doing that week. And so families can plan. You can go, okay, these days I need childcare. These days I don't. I can be home. And so, so like the most depressing thing is where you've organised childcare, you've paid for it, your child is at the childcare, and you realise you've got the day off and you're just sat at home, yeah. bloody pining. Um, so that would be cool. Um, and there was another thing. That, that crashes, the RSC does crashes. Mm. But scheduling, I think, is the main thing. 
I think. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Because in any other job, you know what your scheduling is. And obviously, mm. things change a lot in, in our industry. However, anything that we can do to make things yeah. to make things equal, to make things easier for people, I don't see why we shouldn't It would be really cool really. if there was like a crash for auditions in town. I'd love to set up, I mean, I will never do this because I'm crap at organising, but um, a crash in Soho or wherever most of the auditions are, You've got an audition, you're only going to be in there, what, 15 minutes tops? Yeah. You can come, drop your kid, go and do your meeting, come and pick your kid up and go home, rather than yeah. calling your mates. Great idea. <laughs> idea. <laughs> Thank you. And now, a word from our sponsor, King Manual Therapy. Hi everyone, it's Stephen King from King Manual Therapy in Covent Garden. I'm going to be talking to you about the benefits of vocal massage. So the benefits to vocal massage are, number one, it keeps your voice free and healthy. Number two, it keeps your mental health good in relation to your vocal production. Number three, it makes your voice more reliable more of the time. This particularly matters for auditions, for shows, for anything you've got coming up, including public speaking. So, Juliana... Your film, Horizon Film, will be screened at the festival on September 27th. Uh, the film highlights the experiences of people who are often misrepresented, fetished and stereotyped on screen. And in a male-dominated industry, this can be very difficult to navigate. With movements such as Me Too and Time's Up becoming so prominent over the last 18 months, we wanted to ask you, why do you think it's so important to talk about women's experiences in the film industry up until this point? Oh, wow, that's a lot of stuff in that question. <laughs> you know, I mean, accepting the men in this room, of course, um, you know, I think men in general are more receptive to my film because they hear sex workers and they think they're going to get to see something <laughs> very exciting, which they're very disappointed when they see my film. Um, so um, what, what, tell, tell me again. So why do you think it's important to talk about women's experiences um, in the industry? Well, you know, I think it's important to talk about different kinds of women's experiences in the industry. Um, I think that certain kinds of uh, women's issues are um, acceptable subject matter um, and often seen as, you know, important, even though they've been done 8,000 times. Um, but when you want to do a woman's experience that uh, defies the way that we've constructed femininity in our culture, then you've got a problem, right? So I think we have to um, start being open to um, telling the stories of women who, who don't play by the um, established rules and constructs of their gender in our culture. Um, so I think, you know, Folks have to give money to those kinds of projects. Um, I think people want to see those kinds of projects. You know, one, one subject, piggybacking on the motherhood thing, is that you rarely get to see sex workers in cinema as parents. Um, and it's really interesting how they'll have something where the kid lives with somebody else and they'll never explain why, right? It's just assumed, because we all know sex workers can't be good parents, right? so that they have to live somewhere else. There's no need to explain why. Um, and I really love the, the British show, Harlots, the TV show, because it defies so many stereotypes, right? The kids are able to have um, uh, parents who they live with who also 
run a brothel and the little ones have a happy, wholesome existence. And then the older ones go into sex work and it's a really nuanced um, story about that, about how they feel about that and what, how we should feel about that and what their lives are like. Um, and I think we need a lot more like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going off what you just said about stereotypes. What effect can stereotypes have on someone's mental health if they're portrayed on screen? I mean, it's really huge. I mean, I, I, I have to speak about sex workers because I, I I'm not an expert on anybody else. But um, for sex workers to be portrayed as pathologized people, that people who come to sex work because they're damaged, right? They come to sex work. These are the stereotypes. These are not the truths but they come to sex work because they had child sexual abuse. They come to sex work because they're mentally ill, um, because they have addiction issues, um, because they have some nefarious man in their life who made them do it, right? Um, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you and that you're crazy um, if you're a sex worker. And then if you don't have those things, or if you do, I mean, lots of people have some kind of abuse in their past. Lots of people have addiction history very small percentage of them become sex workers. Um, but then you come to see yourself as damaged. And there's this way that media uh, portrays sex work as something that sort of you do it once and it, it taints you forever, right? It's like murder. It's like you kill somebody once. You only have to do that once and you're a murderer for the rest of your life, right? If you're, if you're a hooker, you only have to do that for one period of your life and that becomes a, a major source of your identity in a really pejorative way. Um, so I think sex workers come to see themselves as unlovable, undeserving of having a partner. They come to see themselves as suspect as parents. Um, and they're treated like they're suspect as parents. Um, and their families see themselves that ways, that way too, in all those ways too. So you see a lot of sex workers who are disowned by their families because of what they do. Um, so it has profound effects on mental health. These and, and these stigmas that are perpetrated in media also inform legal frameworks. Um, they are directly related to how legal frameworks come up, how new laws are defined. They fuel the, the flames of uh, panic, moral panics that we saw at the turn of the century, the white slavery film was hugely popular. Um, and at the same time, all these legal frameworks became established internationally about the traffic of women that are still in effect today. And now we have this new moral panic about sex trafficking, which is a completely over-exaggerated panic. Um, and we have seen countless laws that criminalize sex workers further than they're already criminalized result in huge sentences. Um, used to be misdemeanor, but now they're tacking on sort of quasi-trafficking. You can traffic yourself in the U.S. and get um, amped up jail time, prison time. So um, the stereotypes and the stigma affect our, our identity, how we're treated, um, whether we go to prison or not, whether we get to keep our children with us or not, it's hugely um, impactful on our mental health. I think that just goes to show how important the arts are in, in everyone's lives, the fact that it can have such a huge effect on your life, the stereotypes that are seen on screen, yeah. and why it's so important to have representation, but also correct representation of people, mm -hmm. and the people that need to be writing the stories and producing the stories and directing the stories 
need to understand. It can't just be someone telling someone else's story. It's the, yeah, you need having to have truth. Having truth in it, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. or not, I mean, it's not that there's not some sex workers that do have abject existences. It's continually choosing to tell that story and only that story is the problem. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, we had one other question for you, Nicole, but we can actually um, open it up to everyone as well. And um, this is inspired of the, the group of women filmmakers yeah. that you're with, which is so cool. Um, why is it important to shift the gender balance when it comes to filmmaking in this industry? And we're not saying get like completely get rid of it, but just yeah. make things more equal. Yeah, there, there's, there are statistics in Belgium. We have 50% women in the schools and only 25% uh, films financed. Uh, you know, we have 100, no, not even 25, 20%. Uh, of women films financed by our commission. So there's a disappearance of the women in the industry and there's no really reason why, except uh, all kinds of little ways we are, are put aside. We are put aside because, uh, um, yeah, we, we are supposedly have less confidence, so people don't trust us to direct teams, have a big budget and stuff like that. So. It goes from the, you know, when you go in to see a producer to have your film made, he he's already sort of doubting that you're capable. And then you, you don't always get to this film commission. So there's not enough films being presented. We need first, that's why we have this group. The idea is to be stronger because we're together. So helping each other out. I was last week at a meeting and we're doing a screening and we were looking to have four short films by our members. And I was saying, but who around here has a short film about a feminist topic who would like to show the film? And no one was raising their hands. And I said, but go ahead. If you cannot speak up here, you won't ever speak up anywhere. So I mean, it's good to have at least one, one place where you can talk and uh, feel free that you're not going to be undermined by someone. So that's why we're uniting, but the idea is to have more films next year presented and then obviously supported. Because we have actually a better success. There's fewer films presented, but they have bigger success in having the money. So I think if we manage to get the films there, there are quality films. Women are not stupid, no? <laughs> Certainly not. On the topic of that, why is it so important that women support each other and lift each other up in this industry? Just open it out to, to everyone. Well, um, I just feel like it's that's what that there's room for all of us, and we've been grown up to believe that there isn't. Um, and so, um, especially in my sort of area, and not being white, you sort of go, "There's only room for one of us," and there's this thing. Um, that I experienced that I didn't know about someone, another one of my actress mates. I was like, this, there's this, this woman, she ever, she's just throwing me hate and I can't figure out why. Why is this happening? And my mate was like, oh, mixed race hate. And I was like, what? What is that? What is that? And it's basically, there's only, because representation matters so much, we know that if we're gonna be in a film, in a play, there's probably only gonna be one of us. 
And I would love to just get rid of that right now and to just support each other and just open the door for each other. Whenever a breakdown comes through for me that I know people that that would also be good for it, I message them and tell them about it because I just think we've just got to arrive there together and try and like kick the doors down, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in, in the U.S., I think the statistics are more abysmal than uh, Belgium um, for women getting projects uh, funded. Um, I think that, you know, the patriarchy, you know, the dominant system fragments marginalized people because if marginalized people realize their shared interests, they would boot those mofos right the hell out of there, right? Like, it wouldn't, wouldn't be that way. Um, but we're all fragmented along um, different lines, whether it's um, uh, sexu our sexuality, or, or the way we present our gender, um, whether it's the color of our skin, but marginalized people are, are very fragmented from each other. Um, and women in particular, um, women are continually asked to trade with their sexuality, whether you are going to audition for an acting job or getting an oil change in your car, you're transacting your sexuality. Make no mistake about it if you are a female presenting person in this world. Um, and so we end up competing with each other to transact that and win the transaction. Um, and we also try to sidle up, you know, to people with funding and power, which are usually men, unfortunately, because we just want to get our stuff made. Like at the end of the day, you know, you want to get your thing made um, as much as you may want to work with other women. Um, if that means not getting your project made, then, you know, you, you might not align yourself with other women, sadly. Um, I fund my own project, so I don't feel the need to, but I know that's a incredible privilege that not everyone has. You know, and I, I, I edit, I've been a paid editor and camera person and director, so I have the skills and the equipment to do a lot of it on my own. It's not that I'm shelling out a bunch of cash, it's that, you know, I just do it myself to get it done. Um, but yeah, I mean, you cannot fault women for not um, holding each other up. I think we do it as much as we can. We exist in a system that tries to fragment us from each other and keep us down and has a boot on our necks. And I think women do the best they can. Um, and I'm really heartened by a lot of what's going on now um, in our culture. But, um, you know, it's tough. Absolutely, yes. So another question we have for you, going back on mental health. Mental health is something that has only really been highlighted a lot in the past couple of years. And we're absolutely thrilled that Raindance is helping us to open up the conversation further. In an industry that's so fast-paced and at times can be quite brutal, what advice would you offer someone who is feeling overwhelmed by the enormity of whatever task is in front of them? <laughs> Sorry. Um, just keep working. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's it's a difficult question. I don't really know what to, to say. Does anyone know here? <laughs> what should we suggest someone who feels overwhelmed? That's it. Um, yeah, I've been feeling overwhelmed. And uh, as I said, I just stayed there. I kept on and, you know, tried to do it anyway. I don't know if we can... 
it's not a it's not a world it's not an industry for a sensitive person and I'm a very sensitive person I've been bullied and I don't know what on you know the film crews also you have to talk about that the the male uh, dominance there sort of uh, a woman is not really capable and there are some people who make you feel that way and it's not always men it's sometimes women in my case I won't say who but it was very influential woman on my set who was uh, doubting that I was capable of doing my film so uh, that's the hardest part and I don't know what we can do I mean I I would have loved to have a little miniature counselor <laughs> on the yeah. set here hiding because at some point you're so alone as a director no one talks to you <laughs> like the enemy to everyone I don't know yeah. it felt like that way anyway so but I don't know if it's um, it could be really difficult for men as well because when a man is not, you know, if a man, man is a man is sensitive, it's even worse. I would say so. Um, I don't really know what I would suggest to do. Really, honestly, I don't. Um, I think, like I said, I've been in therapy for a year, and that has helped me hugely. I am also a very sensitive person. I think that makes me good at my job, though. Um, I'm glad for it after having years of going, oh, why am I so sensitive? I need to not be sensitive. So I think part of dealing with feeling overwhelmed is acknowledging that you're feeling overwhelmed and letting yourself feel hurt and stop trying to like hide the fact that, stop trying to, um, trying to sort of survive. If you're struggling, you're struggling. That's okay. Mm. Um, for me, I have a few things that really help me. Um, my family live out in the countryside. Whenever I can get out, I get out. So whatever your like respite is, wherever that is, if you've got like a canal at the end of your road you like to walk down, if you like to exercise, whatever, um, that thing that you know helps you, that you always feel better after doing, sounds like such a small thing, but it changes my mindset going on a run. Honestly, I feel better after it. Yeah. Um, and talking for me really helps. Yeah. It just really helps because I honestly believe that the answers are inside the chaos. It's in there somewhere, and you just might need a bit of help. You just might need somebody to say, they might not even be saying anything back at you, mm -hmm. but to be able to hear what you're saying, the things that have weight, will just sort of settle down, and the stuff that's nothing will fly off. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and just in a word, um, bigging up therapy here, and you, you mentioned, you know, when the time that you were quite alone, um, and counselling, and that's something that we offer at Industry Minds. Um, so just want to open it up to the room if anyone is struggling or feels alone, or anyone that you know, we offer free counselling sessions at Industry Minds uh, via phone and Skype, and one-to-one -one sessions as well in London. They're £25, and as we're a charity now, we, we cover the cost for out-of-work creatives, and that's for anyone in the arts. And I think, you know, talking is key um, in any kind of field in this creative industry. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, therapy helps. That's definitely helped me. I had times where I was just like totally despairing with this particular film. Um, and um, and I really like what you said about knowing the answers are there in the chaos, right? Because like, I always feel like, I know I know the answer to this, but sometimes you just have to be patient and let it come when it comes. Um, I sought a lot of support from my friends. Um, Definitely my friends propped me up. Therapy propped me up when I had a lot of doubt that I couldn't finish. Um, 
you know, sometimes you just feel crazy for being an artist, period. Like, what the fuck? Like, you can't make any money, right? <laughs> You're up all night for not, you know, why? Like, you know, um, it, it's, it can make you feel really crazy, and you have to sort of get back in touch to why art is important um, and why you're doing what you're doing. And sometimes that's with therapy or, or friends helping you yeah. talk through it. Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to you know, add to what you were saying about acknowledging that you, you're not always strong and sometimes you're weak. And, but the problem is being a director, you're not allowed to show a weakness and that's so tough and I would love to change that if I could mm, yeah. because I'm so tired of the stereotypical director who's a you know a, a bastard who's like yelling on everyone and whatever I, I love to be nice with people mm. and you're not respected because you're nice and I don't get it your crew should be happy you know to be treated nicely I don't I don't understand why you have to be the you know, bossy type, and and you ha you have the right to doubt, I think, and to you know think out together with your team. Well, this is not working. What could we do? I didn't even have the right to think twenty seconds. You know, oh, so what do we do? Do we do it again or no. a such a pressure? I couldn't even have twenty seconds to think between takes because I don't know. It's a a system that works like that with bullies, I don't know. So, um, unfortunately, we're not yet allowed to show our weakness as a director, but I hope it could change. <laughs> really, really hope it changes too. Ladies, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today and opening up the conversation on mental health. So honoured to have you chatting with us today. Just have one more question for you. We ask everyone that comes on our podcast, um, and it's a very important one. It is, could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bad mental health day? God. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. Yes, of course. How do you say it? Um, I'll say, let me what would I say? Like, I'm feeling really triggered today, or I'm having a lot of anxiety today. Um, I mean, I, I maybe I have a really unique group of friends, but we constantly tell each other these things, you know? Um, yeah, I, I definitely say it. I think there's like some, or like I'm really depressed, or like I didn't get out of bed all day yesterday. Like, admitting that, like, when I would have days like that in the past, like, I wouldn't want anyone to know, like, I had that bad of a day, right? Like, and now I feel, like, a certain freedom, maybe because I'm old, I don't know, but I feel like I can just say, like, you know, how, I, how I'm feeling, you know? Like, if I've had a really shitty, terrible day, and then I have friends who will say, that's okay. You know, it's okay to have a day like that, you know? Um, with my friends and family, I could. At work, I don't think I could. Unless something happened that upset me, then I would say in the room. But I don't think I'd be able to start my working day and say I'm having a bad mental health day today. I don't think I'm there yet. Yeah, um, I'm, my old boss in a job reproached me that when I didn't feel good, it showed on my face. I should pretend better. So. <laughs> I don't even have to say it, it shows on my face, I think. <laughs> 
ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and thank you to you guys as well for coming along. Uh, just to let you know again, the panel was Juliana Picciolo. Hello, Juliana. Amaka Okafor. And Nicole Palo. If anyone does have any um, questions, you want to come and um, chat to us after, we will be around. Um, and thank you so, so much to Rain Dance for hosting us um, this, e um, this evening, this afternoon. Um, and again, thank you to all you brilliant panellists. Big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Industry Minds and we hope you enjoyed this week's episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to listen to our new episodes which are out every Thursday. If you are interested in our counselling service, please email maryindustryminds at gmail.com or just get in touch with us. For news on future guests and events, oi oi, please check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts over at industrymindsuk. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. Have a great week.